there is actually something called a collective consciousness, uh, which belongs to any social system or an organization. So if you want to improve fundamentally uh, uh, an organization's performance, the best way is to go down to this collective consciousness and raise the level of mind-brain development of the average member of the organization. We are talking about very fundamental changes here, but this is possible. Hello everyone, my name is Julie Masters and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now my next guest has spent over a decade studying and decoding the brains of the world's highest performers all in the hopes of figuring out what makes world-class people world-class. And then what we can do, translating it into what we can do in our everyday lives to influence our own performance. His name is Dr. Harold Harung, and he is the world's top mind-brain development research scientist. Say that five times backwards. He is also the author of the book, Excellence Through Mind-Brain Development, The Secrets of World-Class Performers. Now, I first found out about Dr. Harung's global performance study through another guest on the show, somebody you might remember whose silky tones were one of my all-time favorite conversations, neuroscientist and leadership expert Sylvia Damiano. Now, as part of her work in training the minds of those looking to be better leaders, she discovered Harold's work. She told me about it. She sent me through some of his things. She said, he's coming to town. He's here for a limited time only. If I can get him to your offices, would you want an interview? To which I answered, obviously, hell yes. So he came in a little bit jet-lagged and nice enough to pretend that he wasn't all the way from Oslo. And he told me a lot about his global study. And as part of this study, he and a colleague spent years traveling the globe, conducting experiments and exercises with the top 1% of performers in the world. And by top performers in this case, I don't mean those who have had a brief moment of excellence. I mean those who have consistently sustained this level of performance over a long period of time, whether that's a CEO of a top 10 Fortune 500 or an Olympian swimmer who's achieved gold in all the major championships for the last eight years. And in this episode, I wanted to talk to him a little bit more about a few separate topics to do with his, to do with his studies, one of which was why he would claims that age and experience level have nothing to do with our ability to perform. Which seemed really strange to me because I had always assumed that, you know, the longer you're in the game, the more tenure you have, the more experience you have, the better you're going to get. And apparently, not the case. Also, why the highest performing brains are those with the greatest amount of what he would call integration. We talk a lot about brain integration as part of this conversation. So you'll learn more about what that means exactly and how we get it. But that one thing, that one thing is where all the fingers are pointing when it comes to how we achieve this level of self-mastery. Also, how the top performers in the world all seem to spend a great deal of their time thinking about other people. Which again, seems like a massive contradiction to me because I had been always been told that if you want to get great at something, and I mean truly great, world-class, it takes an awful lot of self-focus. 
almost to the point of, of exclusion of everything and everyone else. And again, apparently not the case. Also, we talked about the top three easy and achievable habits we can all put into practice that will totally lift our game and stand out in our ability to influence the inner workings of our own minds, which as we know, once we can influence the inner workings of our own minds, we can always get better results in the outside world. There's so much myth and legend out there about high performance from very highly priced, some would say gimmicky protein shakes to self-help books to expensive training courses. But what I believe is profound about Harold's work and the reason that I want to share this with you today is that it is rigorously tested. It's rooted in neuroscience and not only that, but it focuses on the one thing that we all have in common, which is our own minds and our ability to wire them and then rewire them continually. And the potential that that indicates that we have to take our own self-influence to levels where even science has not yet begun to even scratch the surface. So I hope, I know, you'll get some easy to action tools out of this conversation. And I hope you use them to do some truly epic things. With all of that, here is my chat. I hope you enjoy with Dr. Harold Haran. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Harold Harun from Oslo University of Applied Science. And you've been, you've been in Australia for how long now? Uh, I've been in Australia for about a week uh, and uh, I am enjoying it very much. I, I can feel that people are sort of relaxed and easygoing here and uh, uh, seem very happy. It's, it's a pretty laid back place. It's a very laid-back place. Yeah. And so you're in town to do a presentation on Friday, I believe. Yeah, I've been doing several presentations, uh, uh, talking about uh, what I love talking about. And that is? That is uh, uh, higher, uh, what they call mind-brain development uh, and uh, higher performance and even more importantly, higher happiness. Higher happiness. So let's get into how you how you started with this topic. So you have studied for for years and years higher mind-brain development and you de- you developed um, a unified theory of performance. So you've spent your career studying performers, high-class high performers across a variety of different fields. Can you just give me some background to the studies that you've done? Yes, uh, we started uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, my field is uh, management, leadership and performance. Uh, and I'm working with uh, Professor Fred Travis from Marishi University of Management in USA. His expertise in uh, um, the brain and psychology. So we are collaborating. And we sat together about 10 years ago and said, uh, let's look at the brain and the behavior of people performing at the top in the world. That will be an interesting topic, we thought. And we have investigated um, world-class athletes really at the top in the world. On average, they had 10 medals in world championships or, or, or Olympic Games. So they were really top uh, performers on the global scale. And then we looked at top-level managers uh, being at the top of major organizations uh, in Norway. 
and we looked at uh, professional classical musicians who were playing permanently in major orchestras. And then we wanted to compare those to average performers. And so, okay, you, you made that comparison. Yes, we made that comparison. And I know that you managed to break it down into three indicators of potential. Now, bearing in mind there's a difference between, sorry, performance. There's a difference between performance and, and skills, as in we can all have a baseline amount of skills, but how one person performs is going to be different to how the next person performs. Yes, there are. And we wanted to really look at the best uh, to see if you could find an, a, diff, a, a significant difference uh, to the average performers, people who are performing on, on, a, on a, an average level. Like for the musicians, we compared the professional classical musicians to amateur classical musicians. And we compared the top-level managers to low-level managers. And the world-class athletes, we compared to people who were active in sports but normally didn't place amongst the first 50% highest in the Norwegian championships. So it is, it's a huge difference in performance between these two. Uh, and we had three measures that we applied. One is uh, what we call the brain integration scale. And the other one is moral reasoning. And the third is the frequency of uh, peak experiences. No, peak experiences are the most happy and fulfilling moments in life. And almost everybody has had at least one such experience. So people can really relate to that, uh, which, is, uh, which is gratifying. Uh, so this is what we measured. Uh, and uh, what we found is that um, when we put these two, three measures together, there was a very significant difference between the world-class performers and the average performers. And to, to use my, my language, which might be, which is very simplistic on this topic, given that I'm not a scientist in this field, yeah. what you discovered is that the ones that are performing at a, at a top-class level have a more integrated brain. That's probably the best way that I could think of putting it. Yes, and integrated brain, what do we mean by that? Well, that is broken down into three components. And the first is how coherent your brain is. Uh, because different parts of the brain have different responsibilities. And when its brain is coherent, it means that the different the electrical brain uh, wave activity is in synchrony with each other. And that indicates that the different parts that have different respons uh, responsibilities are collaborating in the better way. And the second thing we looked for is alpha-1 brain waves. Um, most people have heard about alpha brain waves. For those of us that haven't. Well, they are related to being restful and alert. means you are very relaxed, but you are very uh, alert. And they also... Uh, related to creativity, uh, just the moments before you have a creative insight, there will be a lot of dominant uh, alpha-1 brainwaves. And the last third thing we looked for is how we prepare for performance. And what we found is that the world-class performers, they would mobilize the brain when they should and relax the brain when they should. But the controls, the average performers, would often do the opposite. They would mobilize the brain when they should have relaxed and they would relax the brain when they should have mobilized. I just want to I was zone in 
on that for a second because I interpreted that in a different way. So you've got the three. You've got brain coherence, so your your brain's ability to be able to talk coherently between different sections. You've got um, the restful states, restful yet alert state. And then you've got the brain's efficiency, so how efficiently it uses energy. And when I was thinking about that, those three things, the last one struck me more Mm. so. So often, you know, if if we assume the brain only has so much energy to use, the amount of time we spend in fear or anxiety or um, focusing on drama that really shouldn't take our focus, that all uses a part of that finite amount of energy. So what you're saying is that a top performer is very clear and disciplined around where they put the efficiency of the energy that their brain uses. Yes, and I don't think it's a, an intellectual process for them. It's, it's a spontaneous. This is just how the brain uh, works. Uh, and just to carry on this argument, because uh, we, for the world-class athletes and their controls, we uh, gave them some noise, some ir- irrelevant sounds that were repeated. And uh, what we found is that the world-class athletes were able to ignore the irrelevant zones at one-third of the time of the controls. So it means that they distractions, the world-class performance, were much ab- more able to ignore distractions. But again, I don't think it's an intellectual process. It's just the way the whole mind and, and, and brain works, that they spontaneously ignore what is irrelevant and focus on what is important. So if it's not intellectual, is it, is it habit? It is, it habits is built into develop? the functioning of the, of the brain and the mind. It's just the way they uh, function. It's like uh, some people are more happier than others. It's not that they go around all day saying, oh, I want to be happy or I want to be happy. They are just happy. So what do we do with that? So those are the three indicators. Those were the three indicators for the, uh, for the brain. And then we looked at um, moral reasoning. And what is a good or high moral reasoning is that, well, low moral reasoning is when you are thinking only of yourself. And high moral reasoning is when you are thinking of others and even the world when you make a decision. And what is perhaps surprising to many people is that we found that all the three categories of world-class performers had higher moral reasoning, uh, they scored higher on the test of moral reasoning than the controls. So it seems that to be moral uh, pays in terms of higher performance. But of course, the main reason for being moral is not that uh, the performance, but it just to be happy with yourself and uh, sleep well at night. You know that you are not doing something which is uh, uh, causing harm to other people. Uh, so that's the second measure. And then... Also, on, uh, we found that the frequency of peak experiences, those most happy and fulfilling moments in life, was uh, higher in the world-class uh, performers. And they had some beautiful, uh, like uh, born uh, Thomas Alsgord. Uh, he is a cross-country skier. Uh, he won 11 gold medals in world championships or Olympic games. And he's saying when he get into a peak experience, then the uphills, they're not long enough, nor steep enough anymore. Uh, so that you can imagine that. I mean, most people who are out running, uh, when they get to a hill, they uphill, I think, oh, this is going to be tough. But for him, he wanted them to be longer and steeper. So that illustrates the, uh, 
power of a peak experience when you are utilizing much more of your uh, human potential. Uh, it's really amazing. Uh, it really is a different world. And uh, I think when more and more people are getting these kind of experiences, that will be very good uh, for the world. So I want to talk to you about peak experiences more, but before I dive into that, I just want to go back a second. So those three things that we talked about, are there any habits? Are there any any daily practices? Uh, is there anything that we can do? Because I know in from, from your research, from the research that I read, you said, which I thought there were amazing statistics, you said that years of education, so in terms of my performance as a human being, my ability to influence outcomes, my ability to be able to, you know, go in there and give it the best that I've got with all my potential is only the years of education that I have only equals 1%, only contributes 1% to me using my performance. And my age and the years of um, experience that I have only equals 3%. Yes, age 0% once we passed uh, 25 Mm. Uh, because that's when uh, the mind and brain uh, stops, normally stops developing it. From childhood to age of 25, there is a refinement going on, but it normally stops. Uh, for very few people actually today have an um, uh, improvement, for instance, of the ma- brain after the age of 25. So that would seem to be almost bad news. So, you know, yeah. the books that we read... Zero, not not making a lot of difference. The years of education we put in, not making a lot of difference. Waiting until we get older and wiser, not making a lot of difference. <laughs> so, you know, if you could forgive people for listening to this podcast and go, yeah. I'm just going to go home. Yeah. It sounds like time for me to go. Yeah. So what can we do? Well, we, uh, uh, we uh, having uh, looked at the research, we think there are four major strategies or, or practical things we can do. Uh, and they are in, and they are complementary, and they are in increasing order of importance. What I'm going to uh, tell you now: uh, the first one is getting enough sleep. Many people today don't get enough sleep. Is it, you're looking at me right now as a as a new mother, and the bags yeah. under my eyes, probably assuming that that would be me. Well, uh, I, I don't think so because uh, you look very bright. But of course, being a mother, there. There uh, just those uh, first year, it, it is a challenge and you might not get enough sleep. But then one should try and pick up because it's very important. When you have a day's activity, there is about seven grams of waste or even poisoning, you could say, that's created in the brain. And sleep, during sleep, you get rid of that poison. And if you don't get enough sleep, uh, the poison stays and it has uh, strong negative effects on your cognitive abilities. So uh, getting enough uh, sleep is the first uh, principle that we recommend. And then second is exercise. It doesn't mean you have to run a marathon or anything like that, but just going for a walk or doing some yoga asanas or something just to keep the blood circulation going. It's uh, very good. Uh, There is research uh, showing that it, uh, in Sweden, that it increases your intelligence, for instance. Uh, and then the third thing, uh, which is a, a little bit more important again, is music. It's music. You enjoy music and uh, play it, perhaps the best, but even listening to music is very good for your uh, 
mind-brain development. It refines the brain. Any particular kind of music? Uh, well, there is just a recent research showing uh, that your favorite or your preferred music has the strongest effect on creating coherence in the brain. I'm so glad because I was convinced you were going to say classical music then. <laughs> no, no. Classical music is one alternative. Uh, but, you know, country music or popular music, as long as it's pleasing and, uh, you know, I, 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 this is what the research indicates. So it's so interesting that you say that because somebody asked me last week the the number one thing that I would ask them to do if they were about to go and give an important presentation or an important pitch or an important negotiation to get in state, which is basically what we're talking about here, getting in state, getting coherent, yeah. getting restful yet alert yes. and using our energy wisely. Yes. And I thought about it because whenever, whenever anyone asks you the number one thing, suddenly your brain just freezes. Yeah. And the the thing that popped spontaneously into my brain was yeah. pick a song, yeah. anchor a state of being to that yeah. song yeah. and listen to that song yeah. before you go in. Yeah. Because there is something incredible that music can do to your state. Yeah. It's very harmonizing to the brain. And, uh, uh, you know, I was just thinking that if you dance, you have both. You have both exercise and music at the same time. So that seems to be a good strategy to do. <laughs> so now we have an empirical reason for going out on a Friday night. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, just enjoying yourself is very good for the, for the nervous system. And the last and most important thing is uh, transcendence. Uh, now, this is uh, uh, perhaps a difficult or new word to many, but it means to go beyond even the finest uh, thought or feeling. And when I give lectures, I ask the audience always, you know, how many have experienced a state where they have no, they are very awake, very alert, but they have no thoughts, no feelings. And usually about 50% of the audience will raise their hands. So it's quite a common experience. And this experience is the key to high performance and high happiness. So talk to me about the difference here, this, these moments of transcendence. Is that the same as peak experiences? Yes, this is a brilliant question there you have. Yes, uh, often or <clears throat> normally a peak experience would be based on a transcendental experience, that you have the transcendence. You can either have transcendence on its own, like I just talked about a little while ago, where you, there are no activity, uh, no thoughts, no feelings, but you can also have it coexisting with activity. So then you're out performing and you are dynamic, there is a lot of thinking going on, but at the same time, coexisting with that, you have this feeling of eternity, of internal bliss, uh, of peace uh, inside yourself. You have the coexistence of these two. And that is what we quite often found in the world-class performers. We simply ask them, please explain how you feel in mind and body when you perform at your very best. And then very often these peak experiences would be described. Uh, so they will talking about feeling very happy, feeling very restful, even during dynamic activity. 
And one word that is very often coming when I'm asking audience in, during lectures, they are feeling invincible. During the peak experience, you feel invincible. I love that language. Yeah, it's to a beautiful To feel invincible. Yeah. I often hear people say, to feel bulletproof. I want to feel bulletproof. Yeah, that's Which is kind or, of the same. Or some people say unstoppable. Uh, you know, you can't stop them. They are just so strong. So, and the third category of um, peak experience is, is to have it during sleep. Even in deep sleep, when there normally is nothing, it's just black, no consciousness. Uh, people have, uh, when they have a peak experience, they have some inner wakefulness. That is kind of, they are kind of witnessing uh, the sleep. There is some wake, some continuity of consciousness throughout uh, the sleep. So that's the three categories. And uh, as we found, especially the classical musicians, reported a lot of these experiences. Some would say they would have such an experience almost every time they played in an orchestra. And they're talking about expanded consciousness, feeling that it, that consciousness expands to include the audience and the conductor, even the whole hall where they are um, playing. Uh, so it's this is... Uh, a typical peak experience that you feel a union with your surroundings. Some even feel a union with the whole uh, world. This is called unity consciousness. This is the highest level of human uh, development. So what's, what's great about that example is that we're talking about the, almost the key to collaboration here. Exactly. Which is when you are in this peak experience, if, you, if we can, and we're, we're going to get into that, if we can pull these peak experiences at will or increase their frequency, those are the moments when we are our most collaborative. Exactly. So from the perspective of the speaking industry, for example, if I am having a peak experience when I'm giving a presentation, I feel in collaboration with everybody exactly. in that room. And so I'm adjusting constantly. Yeah, and you're connecting extremely well with them, you know. And we actually had, uh, uh, because so far we talked about individual uh, peak experiences, but it's interesting that we in our research uh, came across uh, collective peak experiences where either a whole a sports team or a whole orchestra, people report that they're feeling that they are a part of a, a great, much greater uh, uh, what you say, organization or a system where they are at one with each other. They read each other extremely well and they feel together invincible. Uh, so, so this is possible to experience also on, on the individual level and the collective level. And I think it's interesting to note that there is research in Germany showing that uh, people are playing music together, pairs of, uh, of musicians, then the brains become synchronized between the two people. What do you mean by the brains become synchronized? Well, Walk it means me that, that. The, the, if you measure the brain of the two people, they are in synchrony. Uh, not only, uh, they are also in synchrony within themselves, but also in synchrony with the other. So that means that the brains are uh, operating um, together as a one, as a whole, as a wholeness. Uh, and I think this is the key to, um, to these collective peak experiences that the, the brains are in harmony with each other. Uh, and then we are talking about 
really uh, a collective uh, peak experience. Uh, and if this could spread uh, in the world, uh, you know, because it's extreme harmony, it's extreme happiness. Uh, so if this could spread, then I think the world would be, uh, uh, at least in that direction, then I think the world would be uh, much, much harmonious, more harmonious than it is today. So let's take that to the other end of the spectrum for a second. So if we're saying that our brains go into synchronicity with each other. Yes. So, for example, if I walk into a situation that is um, angry or dramatic or in in whatever other ways has negative connotations on my brain, I can also sink into that. Yes. So we're naturally inclined to sink in. So we almost need to be very careful yeah. about the situations that we put ourselves in because exactly. our brains will automatically mirror that. Yes, it, we are influenced. You see, we are talking about more fundamental or deeper influences here. Uh, there is actually uh, something called a collective consciousness, uh, which is, belongs to any social system or, or any, uh, you know, like a family or an organization or a city or the world has a level of collective consciousness or a level of mind-brain development. And that uh, is uh, expressed in the level of performance and the level of harmony and productivity of that uh, unit of collecting consciousness, like the family or the organization. So if you want to improve fundamentally uh, uh, an organization's performance, the best way is to go down to this collective consciousness and raise the level of mind-brain development of the average member of the organization. We are talking about very fundamental changes here, but this is possible. Uh, and um, uh, I, what is actually very exciting here and very uh, perhaps bewildering is that uh, groups of a technique called transcendental meditation that we can talk about in a little while also, uh, is uh, has through... Uh, over 60 research projects be found to positive, positively influence collective consciousness. Uh, only 1% need of, to practice this technique in the city, for instance. And then the crime rate starts dropping significantly. I'm going to stop you there. So I want you to say that again. Because for anybody that just switched off, you know, someone says meditation and everybody goes, okay, all right. This has just gone into, into, a, into a land of which I'm probably not willing to enter. Let's get, you're getting pretty practical with this now. So what we're yeah. saying is that the the practice of what is called TM, Transcendental yeah. Meditation, which for those of you that, that don't know anything about TM, it's the practice of meditating twice a day for 20 minutes using um, using a mantra, yes. basically. So a sound, re- yeah. yeah, a sound, repeating the same sound over again. That's about the most simplistic way that I can think of. And it's yeah. a very practical, simple thing to do. Yeah. But the benefits are documented and scientific. So you're saying that the benefits collectively, either for an organization or a city or family, is that if 1% of that collective start doing TM regularly, can you walk me through the results of that again? Yes, it does change the whole... uh, uh, the outcome or, or, or the behavior of the whole uh, system in, in a more positive and harmonious way. So uh, uh, research shows uh, uh, major decreases in war intensity, uh, re- reduced traffic accident, reduced crime, different, uh, different kinds of crime uh, like homicides, 
uh, and also improved the stock market um, indexes. I'm laughing because <laughs> I can't imagine a, a room of traders doing TM in order to impact the stock market. So what we're saying is that, that that's something that can be done on an individual level. Yes. That impacts the collective at a very specific scientific level. It's very concrete and it's like I'm working with a company in California where no over 30% of the employees are uh, practicing this technique. The company is called Nordic Naturals and they are uh, their sales is growing at more than 10% a year where the average for the industry is about 1.5%. So it has very practical uh, effects on productivity and uh, uh, quality of work and things like that. It's, um, it's very practical. And so your belief from, your, from a decade of studies is that TM or Transcendental Meditation is the fastest route to increasing the number of peak experiences that you that yes. you experience as a human. Yeah. And the more peak experiences you have, the more you're reaching your potential. Exactly. And it uh, it is, uh, so now we're back to the individual benefits. Uh, we talked about those four uh, areas, you know, the getting enough sleep, uh, exercise, music, and the fourth one is... Uh, uh, meditation. There are, there are many uh, kinds of meditation on the market and they have different effects on the brain. The one that is developing most efficient at developing uh, peak experiences and also brain integration is the transcendental meditation or TM technique that was introduced by Marishi Mahasyogi some 60 years ago in the West. Uh, so that's the most efficient technique. Uh, and those four things together, if you can manage to get those four things into your life, then you are on the path of uh, uh, optimal uh, evolution towards uh, what we call uh, higher consciousness, which is like lasting peak experiences. Because uh, when you have a peak experience, it's such a wonderful thing. You want to have more of it. And that is uh, what we call higher consciousness, when you have lasting peak experience, not just for 10 minutes or one hour or one day, for, but for the rest of your life, ideally. So I'm going to ask you as a, as a parent now, yeah. so parent to, parent to a one-year-old. So you, as soon as I heard you say the first three years, I could feel the pressure increasing on my shoulders to, <laughs> I've got a finite amount of time yeah. to, to support her in doing whatever she's got to do to, to be as influential as she can be over her own mind. Yeah. So what should I focus on? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, what children need is just love and attention and, and, and happiness, somebody to be around who is happy, who is a, a role model for them uh, and love. It's the basic, very basic thing. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the especially, uh, I mean, the, the father is also important, but I think the, the mother is... Uh, very important for the child. That's the way we are structured in nature. That's my way, the way I look at it. So uh, just giving love and nourishment. Uh, I'm sure you are doing uh, well. And, uh, uh, but uh, but it's, uh, the first three years can actually have quite a big difference on the, on the later life, yes. Well, the, I think there are days where you, you, you do well and days where you don't. But I'm really interested in, you, you talked about moral compass. Yeah. 
you know, as an individual myself, as a, as a leader of a team and as a parent, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for an inward ability to be able to direct yourself, direct yes. your own mind, yeah. direct your own sense of integrity. Yeah. Um, I've spoken to people who, who call it gut. There's a growing science around the importance of gut feeling and intuition now. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to developing that inner moral reasoning, yeah. if, if your particular structure around that is religious, then, then fine. If your structure around it is something different, I don't think it matters. Yeah. How do we, how do we develop that more? How do we tune into it, listen to it, learn to trust it? Is it music, sleep, yeah. the same things? Yes, the same thing. Uh, because you see, uh, and this TM, you see, uh, uh, with higher mind-brain development, these qualities unfold spontaneously. Our way of looking, our worldview changes fundamentally. We start thinking more long-term. We move from thinking short-term to thinking long-term. We you, move from thinking very localized to thinking broader. We move from win-lose strategy Politics today is mainly win-lose. Well, as identified by, it's literally called the opposition. Yes. And then we move towards win-win, where we find solutions that are to the benefit of all the people involved. And perhaps most important, we move from being reactive to being proactive and preventive, to be able to prevent problems before they arise. I want to talk a little bit about inner silence, Mental silence. Mm. I think that that's one of the the core skills when it comes to performing at your best at anything. Basically, yes. yeah. you need to be able to switch off your monkey brain, switch off the the ever going monologue in your head, yeah. and focus down into where you are and the needs of of what's going on in this moment. Yes. And I was having a conversation with a friend actually just this weekend, and he's a prolific squash player play squash, has done for about 10 years, play squash any minute, any given minute of the day that he can play squash. Okay. And he's just in amateur leagues, uh, but he's he's dedicated to the mental game of squash, which I find interesting. And so we we're having a coffee this weekend and he said, my game has just gone through the roof. And he said, and the single thing that I tried was mental. It was calming down my brain. Mm not reacting, responding and not reacting. He said, but I had to be willing to lose a couple of games first. I had to be willing to, I had to be willing to experiment. Yes. I had to be willing to let go of wanting to win in order to try some new things. So experimenting, I think, being willing to experiment with all these tools is huge. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's going through a transformation, uh, seems towards uh, higher mind brain development. This can happen spontaneously. Uh, so uh, being more calm uh, and more subtle uh, is definitely an advantage, uh, whatever you're doing. Uh, this inner silence, uh, the lack of the inner dialogue uh, and the more focus on the task. Because if we have an inner dialogue going on, we, we don't have the resources to focus on the outer task at the same time. So the inner dialogue is normally not uh, uh, to our advantage. Uh, so more peace, more silence more harmony, together with dynamism is, uh, is the source of uh, peak performance. You have said that, um, and I'm looking at my notes now, you had said that this 
this higher mind brain development, the the peak peak experiences is currently only it's called post conventional and it's only enjoyed by nine to ten percent of the world's population at the moment. But that's shifting. Yeah. So that's it is definitely shifting. Uh you know, the post conventional people, uh, you know, about ten, fifteen percent uh are the people who think for themselves. Uh they Whatever other people say, they make up their own opinion. So they actually have, uh, they have ethics or moral, not based on what uh, society, the norms in society are, but they, they, they feel their own way to their own judgment of what is right and wrong. It's an internal uh, judgment of what is right and wrong. Uh, so these are uh, very interesting people. And I'm sure if we could go from 10 to 20 or 30% of those in society, society would look fundamentally more positive. So that was going to be my question. That was, if we could shift the dial on that by 10%, so we could get that from 10% of people enjoying this state of being to 20% of people, would that be the tipping point? Where do you believe the tipping point would be? Uh, I think uh, actually the tipping point uh, has already been. I think that um, the last world war, where uh, 50 million people were killed, uh, was a tipping point. It's like a pendulum. It couldn't swing further to negativity. It has to swing back. And that has happened. And, uh, you know, most people today are still a bit uh, skeptical about the future. And that's because of the media focused on the negative. But there are so many very positive things happening in the world. I'm going to I'm going to finish off now by asking um asking one question. I, I I love what you said there about we're in the process of something new. You know, we're in the process of expanding our ability to be able to have a positive influence over ourselves, our families, our communities, the planet. If I could give you with all my powers, if I could give you the stage, give you a stage, give you a microphone and put in front of you everybody that you would ever want to influence, what's the one thing that you would want them to know? Uh, one thing I would think would be the by far the most important thing we could do in, in the world is to have a group of 9,000 experts who are practising Transcendental Meditation and something called the Advanced TMCD Program because we know with that from the research, with that size of group, 9,000 people, we can have a significant influence on the whole world to improve happiness, good health and reduce conflicts and disharmony. So that's the number 9,000? Yes, both 9,000. And so if anybody listening wants to be part of that 9,000, what would they do? Well, then they should uh, uh, contact uh, me or the, they could go to uh, the organization of uh, Marishi Mahesh uh, Yogi and, uh, and then they could uh, contribute to this, having this group. It's, uh, it's going to be in India, the first group. We want to have several groups in the world to be on the safe, it's have a safety factor. But the first uh, group uh, is being established now in India, actually. Okay. Well, there's your there's your your road. If anybody's interested, there's your road to make a difference. Thank you so much for your time. I know that your time was very precious while you were here. 
as a footnote to my interview with Dr. Harold Harung, as we were leaving, so once the, the recording had, had finished, we were walking out and we were talking a little bit more about parenthood and helping our children reach their peak potential. And he mentioned something that I thought was worth adding. He said that once a child is three, they are able to meditate. They are able. So obviously we can do music, we can do rest, we can do sleep. But from the meditation standpoint, they are able to do it, but they do it walking. So not sitting, but walking. So if you can get your child to walk while focusing on something, that is one of the single largest differentiators between a child that is able to manage their state on an ongoing basis. And I thought that was just worth adding in at the end if, for those of you who are looking for something practical to do with your children as a result of listening to today's episode. <laughs>